I remember when my son Leander was born. Uh, I have a, a picture that we'll put up on the screen. This is him like a day or two old. Um, super cute. Super cute. Um, but I remember uh, the day he was born, my wife Mercedes had been in labor for over 12 hours, and she had been uh, pushing to deliver him for over two hours or Maybe it's three hours. I can't, I can't remember. It's all kind of a blur. But um, if you've never had, uh, had a child before, um, what they do after you give birth is they'll move you into this uh, little room where you kind of get to rest and relax a little bit. And I remember the nurse bringing us in there and, and, uh, and sitting down, and we're just, just exhausted, um, just so tired. And uh, I remember the nurse kind of helping get us situated and comfortable. And then I remember her just being like setting, setting my son in this little bassinet thing. And she's just like, all right, good luck. <laughs> you know, let us know if you need anything. And I remember kind of having this little moment of panic where I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I don't know how to do this. Like, I've never had to take care of a newborn longer than just holding one for a second or two. And, uh, but I remember looking over at my wife, Mercedes, and I remember being like, okay, okay, like take a step back. She's great with kids. Like, we got this. We can handle this. Mostly I was thinking Mercedes has got this. Uh, but uh, you might be able to guess what happened uh, at, right after the, the nurse walked out. Uh, Merce, my wife, Mercedes, she fell into just a deep, long, well-deserved sleep. And it was just me and the baby. Just, we're, here we are. This is it. And I'm just trying to take care of this baby that I don't know how to take care of. And it ended up being a really memorable night of just holding my son and not knowing what to do and trying to figure it out. But I learned something really important about newborns that night. I learned that one of the reasons why taking care of newborns is so hard and so difficult is because newborns can't talk. They can't, I knew they didn't talk, okay, but I'm experiencing it for the first time. Man, like, they're hungry, or they need their diaper changed, or they're too cold, and they can't tell you what it is, they just cry out, they just groan. They can't speak, and not only can they not speak, but they're completely unable to do anything for themselves. They can't feed themselves. They can't roll over. They can't even lift their own head and their own strength. And babies, newborns, need someone like a dad to come and to provide for them what they need, even when they don't know how to say it, even when they don't know what they need. And this morning from our text in Romans 8, I want to argue that we are a lot more like newborns than we might think we are. We like to think that typically, once we get to kind of our general stage of life, we like to think that we're self-sufficient, that our health is maybe relatively good, we've got those dozen or so insurance policies, we've got that place to live, we have that job security, we have 
our family, and whatever it might be. But if we live long enough, we'll come to a season sooner or later that shows that all of these ideas of self-sufficiency, of security, are really just a mirage that can disappear in an instant. Our passage tells us that in our trials and suffering and hardship, we need someone who can provide us with power, strength, and comfort to care for us in our weakness. We need somebody who can speak for us when we can't speak, when words just fall short. So we're going to jump into our passage, starting with the first part of verse 26. So you can look at it with me. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. If you remember uh, from our series from past weeks in Romans 8, we've learned that we, along with all of creation, are groaning inwardly. We are, we are longing for the day when God will come and redeem all things and fix what's broken. There's something in us put there by God. It's like a God-shaped hole that leaves us feeling the emptiness of the world. It's something that money, sex, power, our, our favorite hobbies, our family, our most close, intimate relationships can't fill. We were designed, we were created with a God-sized hole that only God can fill. And we long, we were made by God for something more. And we all inwardly groan in hopeful expectation of the moment, of the time when God will come himself and be with us and make things right. But for the moment, right now, we feel our weakness. We feel the effects of sin and brokenness and sorrow. And so, Romans 8, Romans 8 has been telling us we groan. But here's the good news that our verses give us today. It's that we aren't alone in our weakness. God delights to meet us right where we are and help us in our weakness. And most of the time for us, uh, when we encounter, when we experience any kind of weakness in our lives, we, we usually uh, deal with it in one of two ways. One way is that what we do is uh, we seek to avoid our weakness. By all costs necessary, if, if we're confronted, we avoid it. The, on the other hand, what we can do with weakness is rather than avoid it, we seek to meet it head on and overcome it by our own strength. And, and here's a couple illustrations to, to show what I, what I mean. Right now, at our house, we're renovating our kitchen, and I am, uh, I'm just a terrible handyman. Like, I'm just awful at fixing things, don't like building things. I'm not a good problem solver, generally speaking. And I've learned that that's what actually uh, doing a house renovation is. Uh, you build things, and then problems come up as you go, and you have to fix them. And so what I've done is I have sought to avoid my weakness. I've invited friends. I've, I've had people who know what they're doing come in Help me do it. Let me avoid my weakness. You do it for me. 
the other natural response that we have toward weakness is to meet it head on and try to overcome it. And a great, really simple illustration for this comes from the sports world. So if a basketball player is really bad at ball handling with her left hand, every time she practices, she's going to go to that left hand over and over and over until she can begin to make her weakness a strength. She's going to meet that weakness head on and try to overcome it, to mitigate it. But friends, the kind of weakness that Romans 8 is talking about isn't a weakness that we can avoid, and it's not a weakness that we can overcome in our own strength. The kind of weakness that Romans 8 is talking about is a weakness that comes as the result of sin. Sin in the world around us and sin in us. It's the effect of the curse of sin given all the way back in Genesis 3. And it creates chaos and confusion and and the brokenness that we experience. It's just a part of the fabric of our existence. All we can do in the midst of it, Romans 8 is telling us in many ways, all that we can do at times is groan in longing for something more. Verse 23 of Romans 8 puts it this way. It says, We ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, we experience a weakness. It's inescapable. It's unconquerable in our own power. All that we're able to bring to the table, Romans 8 tells us, is a groan. And it's a weakness that cries out for help. Cries out for help from outside of ourselves. And this is actually one of the main tenets of what it means to be a Christian. In order to come to Jesus, we have to come to the end of ourselves. We have to recognize our own helplessness, that we have no strength. We have nothing to offer to bring to the table when it comes to our salvation. We have to look outside of ourselves. We can't save ourselves from the mess that we're in. We have to look to Jesus and his saving power alone to save us. And if you think about it, every religion on earth seeks to provide an answer to the problem of brokenness and sin that we all experience. And every religion outside of Christianity seeks to provide a way to either avoid the problem of brokenness and sin or to meet the problem head on and overcome it by sheer force of will. Buddhism seeks to avoid brokenness and sin by offering a higher plane, a place to, a way to achieve a higher plane of consciousness. Islam seeks to overcome the problem by offering salvation through strict adherence and obedience to the teachings of the prophet Muhammad. Hinduism overcomes the problem by offering hope for a better life in the next reincarnated life. If you can do really good in this life, you'll have a better one. You'll have more hope in the next go-round. New Age spirituality promises if I take certain substances, if I wear certain crystals, 
if I can align my chakras just, just perfectly, I can tap into a higher power that'll help me to overcome my inner brokenness. And agnostics, atheists, they too are forced to deal with the same exact problems of brokenness. They too had to live out their existence answering the same questions, trying to endure the same hardships that every other human, regardless of what religion they ascribe to, has to endure. See, nobody escapes. Nobody gets out easy from the problem of brokenness and sin. And everyone in some way, shape, or form is seeking to find answers by either escaping from the reality of sin and brokenness or meeting it head on, trying harder, being a better person. But Christianity, it's the only worldview that tells us that the problem of our brokenness and sin is too big for us to clean up. And it's too inescapable to avoid. Christianity says that not only is the mess too big to clean up, but that we've been complicit in creating the mess that we experience. Christians are able to say that sin isn't just a problem that's out there in the world that needs to be solved. Sin and brokenness is a problem in me. Not only does the world need redemption from sin and brokenness, I do too. And there's nothing we can do in our own power to fix what's broken. We have to come to the end of relying on our own power. We have to come to terms with our own weakness. We give up relying on our own ability to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, to do better, to work harder, to be a better person. And instead, we look to a cross where a Savior bled and died to defeat the power of sin, to accomplish for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. But it's important to know that while Christians, while we're quick to recognize our weakness and our inability to save ourselves, it's important to know that Christianity isn't fatalistic. It's not like a, well, sin's too, too inescapable, too unconquerable, so I guess we'll just give up. It's not a resign throwing our hands up in the air. It's a realization that there is power available. There is strength enough to deal with the problems of brokenness and sin. But that strength ultimately lies outside of what man can bring to the table. And so Christians, more than anyone else, shouldn't shy away from the problems of brokenness and sin that we see in the world. Christians should reach out in hope and expectation to know Jesus loves to heal things that are broken. Jesus loves to forgive people for sin. Jesus loves to use us to be his hands and his feet, to reach out to the world and be his instruments of healing. And so Christians, more than anyone else, should be filled with hope and expectation and a desire to reach out. Christians must come to terms with their weakness, but they aren't wusses. We know that Jesus is working to redeem all things in the world around us. And he uses us to be his instruments. But for now, we endure the hardship of the in-between. 
We've gone through Romans 8, and we've seen all these beautiful truths. I mean, Romans 8, 1, one of the best verses in the Bible. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Like, we experience, like, I'm forgiven. All my sin, past, present, future, God doesn't hold that against me? Are you kidding? Romans 8 tells us we're adopted into the family of God. I'm seen as as a son. You're seen as a daughter of God. I'm given a new purpose. But we find that although we've been freed from the power and the penalty of sin in our lives, we still experience its presence. And so we experience the weakness of waiting and we groan. But the good news that verse 26 in Romans 8 tells us is that we have help outside of ourselves and our weakness. The Holy Spirit, he's dwelling in us. He's made his home in us. I want to read verse 26 again in case, in case we've forgotten it. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And one of the amazing things that Romans 8 tells us is that as we groan, God groans with us. So for the believer in the room listening today, if you've trusted in Jesus, we have a promise that in our suffering, in our hardship, in our weakness, we are not alone. Think about it. The Spirit loves to be your helper in weakness. In your deepest moments of pain, God, it means that God is always moving towards you, not away from you. His posture, his, his arms are always open towards you, never closed. In the moments where you feel the most weak, the most weighed down, the most burdened by the weight of the world or your own sin or whatever it is, the Spirit is there to help bear the burden. And these verses tell us the Spirit, He's our intercessor. He's constantly, it's like He's constantly lifting up prayers to the Father on our behalf. And these prayers, they're groanings, they communicate beyond what words can communicate or when words just fall short. And the idea that you can get here, it's almost like a, like a mom with her infant child and no words are being spoken between the two. Uh, mom might just be humming and baby's just cooing. No words are happening, but there's no doubt that really deep, meaningful communication is going on. And this is like what happens when the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings too deep for words. And for those of us struggling in a moment of hardship right now, this should be comforting. You don't have to have words to offer up to God. You don't have to formulate long and nice-sounding prayers so that God will finally, finally want to listen to you. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you're sad, you're anxious, you're lost for words, you can trust that the Holy Spirit is groaning in you, for you, lifting up intercessions on your behalf to the Father. 
If you've trusted in Jesus, the Father, he's not up in heaven waiting for you to get your act together, to finally offer up a prayer worth his time. God has made his home in you, and he's helping you in your weakness. He's interceding for you on your behalf. And this should also be great encouragement for those of us this morning who, struggling, who struggle know, knowing how to pray. Sometimes our prayer life sucks because we go through our normal list of a couple things that we always pray for and we get to the end of it after like 45 seconds and then we just sit there. We don't know, we don't know what to say. Or we grow insecure. We wonder, what if I say something dumb? Like, what if I say something theologically incorrect in my prayer? Does God cancel it? Maybe I'm the only one who's thought about that. <laughs> or maybe worst of all, what if somehow, some way, I end up having to pray in front of other people? What will they think? But the Father isn't grading us based on the eloquence of our words. We're never in danger of him misunderstanding the posture of our hearts. Sometimes the most God-honoring time we spend in prayer is just moments of silence where we make ourselves present. And from a human perspective, we might stutter, we might falter, it might seem like a complete failure in our prayer, but to God, a stuttering, faltering Mumbling prayer can be beyond beautiful. And this is, one pastor puts it this way. He says, perhaps too much of our praying is of the flesh. Long, beautiful, pious prayers that glorify man and nauseate God. Romans 8 indicates that the most spiritual prayer could be a wordless groan that comes from the heart. In our weakness, the Spirit he helps us by interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. And maybe at this point you're asking a question, okay, the Spirit's interceding for me. He's, he's groaning for me, but what's he groaning for? What's it about? What's it mean? So let's continue on in verse 27. It says this, And he who searches hearts, that is, it's God the Father, so God the Father knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God. In other words, the Spirit's intercession on our behalf are always, this verse tells us, according to the will of God. And you say, okay, sounds great, Brett. Then what's the will of God? What's, what do you mean the Spirit's always praying according to the will of God? That's but what is the will of God? And to answer that question, I need to creep down just a little bit further in Romans 8. We're going to look at verse 29. It says this. It says, For those whom the Father foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. So verse 29 tells us that the Father's will for our lives, the master blueprint that he's drawn up for each one of us, is that we would be conformed to the image of his Son. Which means that the Spirit's intercession 
on our behalf, the wordless groanings that he's lifting up for us are always that we would become more and more like Jesus. And here's what's crazy if we think about it a little bit. Think about all the things, all the needs, all the desires, all the wishes that the Spirit could lift up to the Father on our behalf. The thing that he primarily is praying for us the thing that he's primarily pleading for is that we would be made to look more like Jesus. So when we're weak and the weight of the world, the battle against sin feels so heavy, the Spirit, his primary prayer for us, his earnest prayer is that we would be made to look more like Jesus. When we feel crushing brokenness of heartache and loss, the Spirit's groan is that we would be made to look more like Jesus. The thing we need most in the desperation and weakness that we experience is to look more like Jesus. And when I honestly think about the content of my prayers, I I find that I'm usually praying for one or all of three things, which is uh, more comfort, easier circumstances, and more control. And those aren't bad things to pray for all the time, but those just aren't things the Holy Spirit is primarily lifting up to the Father. A prayer I make far too little is, Father, whatever it takes, whatever it looks like, make me look more like Jesus. And it's surprising how easy to forget that the aim, the purpose, the joy of my life should be to look more like Jesus. Like I, it's almost like, how, how did I miss the point? Like, isn't that the point of this whole Christianity following Jesus thing is to look more like Jesus? And to be honest, that prayer, make me more like Jesus, that's a scary prayer to make. Almost every Christian I've ever known would say that they want to be made more like Jesus, but very few of us actually want to pay the cost of what it takes to be made more like Jesus. And you might be thinking right now, yeah, that prayer sounds good, but I don't know if I can actually offer it up in the sincerity of my heart. Make me more like Jesus. But I want you to hear the good news from our passage today. It's that the Spirit knows what you need. He's helping you in your weakness. He's praying. He's interceding for you with groanings too deep for words. But here's what our passage in Romans 8 doesn't give us. It doesn't give us a reason for the hardships, the weakness, the suffering that we endure. God doesn't give any easy answers. But here's what it does offer us. It tells us that there is something happening in the midst of the suffering and the hardships and the pain and the brokenness that we endure. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Somehow, someway, In the fiery furnace of it all, the Spirit's prayer to the Father is that we would look more like Jesus. And that's a prayer that the Father loves, loves to answer. 
But it doesn't mean that we don't groan. It doesn't mean that we don't long for a day when Jesus is going to return and he's going to bring complete and final redemption and make all things new. There's a great C.S. Lewis quote. He says something like this. He says, when Jesus comes back, when he returns, he's going to make all the sad things untrue. And one of the beautiful things that Romans 8 gives us today is that in our groaning, when we groan, God groans with us. We're given no easy answers for suffering, for weakness, for brokenness, but we are given a Savior who groans under the weight of our sin and shame on the cross and cries out, it's finished. We don't have any answers for suffering or brokenness or pain, but we do have a a Savior who enters into the suffering, enters into humanity and endures it with us and for us. We don't have easy answers for suffering, but we are given the Holy Spirit who right now, right here, groans with us, crying out to the Father on our behalf. We don't have easy answers for suffering, but one thing we can know for sure from Romans 8 is that we are not alone in our suffering. God wants to be there with you. Everyone listening today, you're either in a season of suffering or you will be in a season of suffering. And everyone listening today, you're enduring the hardships and brokenness of of, of a world cursed with a Genesis 3 curse of sin. It's woven into the fabric of our existence. And you need to know, you're not alone. God has suffered for you. And God is suffering with you now. So friends, the good news of Romans eight twenty six through 27 is that we have a helper in our weakness. The problem of sin and brokenness, it's, It's inescapable. It's unconquerable in our own power. And so we've been invited to look outside of ourselves to Jesus. And we've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit who loves to be our helper in weakness. So when the hardships of life leave us with only enough strength to groan, God reminds us that we're not alone and that he groans with us. Let's pray.